from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 things that make us go wow. Wow. I'm Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by our best-selling author and host of WOW Podcast Network's Night Fever. It's James St. James. Hello! And our Chief Creative Officer, Tom Campbell. Greetings from the United Kingdom. Oh, Blake tells me we have a new time. We're now on in the afternoons. Uh, Perfect for your drive home on the West Coast, or if you're getting ready to go out on the East Coast, you can listen to us and find out what you should see, smell, do, or what you should not. 8 p.m. on the East Coast, 5 p.m. on the West Coast Fridays. But with also a repeat on Friday night at 10, and then Saturday and Sunday as well. Right? So yeah. we're the all insomniacs are going to fall in love with us. <laughs> oh, my God. We are Radio Andy. <laughs> we are Radio Andy weekend all weekend long. Anywho, let's start our countdown where we normally start. At number 10. Number 10. Now, we've been talking about these year after year and praising them wildly. And I think this year, without a shadow of a doubt, the Grammy Awards have reached the highest height of award shows. I think they out-Oscar the Oscars. They out-Emmy the Emmys. They are better than the Golden Globes. The amount of talent, the amount of moments, the amount of variety is really strong and really reflective of where we are in a culture. How do you, you guys buy into that that little uh, opener? I like I, the idea that the award show of award shows is the I I've not heard that said. Well, I, I honestly think this was one of the best Grammy Award shows I've ever seen. I was wowed at so many mo- moments. I was moved to tears. I was on my feet. I was uh, clapping along with Miley. She looked yes. spectacular. So let me let's take yeah. through some of the uh, performances. Fenton, did you watch the awards or watch the? Clips? I watched little bits and pieces, and I get, the ratings are up. So I I think the world agrees with you. And I have to say, I'm out here in the UK, and I didn't even watch them per se. I didn't sit down like I usually do and watch and fast forward the commercials. But through clips and reading about it, it made you know, which is a lot of the way that most of the world watches you know award shows. That's how was- I usually do. This was the first time I've watched an award show in years. But but, but I, I've got to say, Tom, that you do yourself a disfavor that that the world does itself a disfavor by doing that because the way it was plotted out and the way it kept rising and falling and working your emotions was just it. it I have it, to take it your word for it. it. I, couldn't, I couldn't find a place with my whatever my access to actually watch the show while it was happening, but I helped watch it. So, okay, in no particular order, because they were all amazing moments, Luke Combs, who had a huge hit this year with a cover of Tracy Chapman's Fast Car, sings Fast Car, and who joins him on stage? Unannounced, Tracy Chapman. And the beauty, the way she just radiated, no makeup, no outfit, and just the most beautiful woman there. Just Just unbelievable. And the performance... Go, Tom. Just country western, straight guy, singer, obviously with a big heart, who's loved the song. He's talked a lot about it. He loved the song. He didn't change a word. And this lesbian, black artist, poet, 
who's, you know, big hurrah. She's had a career and she's had hits throughout the decades, but her big hurrah was in the 80s and 90s, come together and without any grand gesture, blend their voices, sing these same lyrics. And to me, it, it's a moment of togetherness like I have not seen on television. The way he looked at her with adoration oh. was just so moving. The way you could tell how much it meant to him. And it just, and that she was just basking in her moment. She, it was just, yeah. it was something that well deserved for her. God bless her. God. It's a song about generational poverty and the words, the lyrics just mean so much to so many people. And it translates uh, across yeah. their differences. It's the same message. It's the same America. It's the same story to be shared and told. Okay. Second, everything coming up, Miley Cyrus. Oh, Miley won her first two Grammys. She's never won a One. Grammy. And we think about the shaming of Miley Cyrus. Talk about the documentary. How she's done so much. She's had a full career. She's 30. And she's had five lifetimes. And been, you know, every time she's on the Grammys or whatever, she's shamed. She's, you know, gone too far. And she came with this incredible 70s hair. It was Lindsay Wagner. It was Barbarella. It was everything. And then she wore recognize her. I mean, I was like, who's that? And, and that Bob Mackie gown was just so many of hurt. them. She kept yeah, changing. Yeah. She kept changing. And again, people are like too much or, but no one, all the girls and God bless them. And I love Olivia Rodrigo, but like everyone plays it safe. Everyone does what everyone's doing. Everyone has the flat hair. Everyone has the part in the middle, whatever it is. Miley gave us just perfection. And there, what we love about Miley, uh, speak for all of us, what I love is her, you know, it's a word that's overused, but absolutely accurate with her. It's her authenticity. You what you get what Miley is thinking and feeling, and her performance of Flowers, which is a great song, was really spontaneous. She did kind of a teeny Turner, Tina Turner thing toward the end because she had that great Bob Mackie dress on. And her acceptance speech, she was next to Mariah Carey. She talked about MC Squared, and she was just seemed so happy to be getting her flowers at And 30. we do have to say how great it was to see Mariah Carey and how nice it was to see Celine Dion. And that was so beautiful. And I just want to say that I am, uh, I, I, there are many reasons to criticize Taylor Swift. There's many reasons to love her, but I don't think it was a snub. I think there was another camera that caught her saying thank you to her. There was, and there are the pictures that immediately released of them backstage together. I think it was, I think people were trying to bring down Taylor and they were going to use whatever they could to do it. I just do. We analyze reactions and award shows like they're the Zapruder film. It's like, let it go. Yeah. We know that, you know, Taylor's well, nice. Of course, it's so funny because it was just the oddest moment because Celine was such a, 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 a shock surprise to see her. That was such a wonderful thing. And I don't know what it was about it. I totally get all the context that you're adding, James, but I just thought it was so odd. It's like, she's right there. Celine Dion, for goodness sakes. Like, well, it just no, seemed... it, was, it was an oversight, and she will regret it until the day she right. dies because nobody will ever let her forget it ever, ever. But I think many times, as you know, you get you win an award, you jump on stage, and everything just goes black. And you have no idea what's going on. You are you are in tunnel vision. Trying to remember just... people's names and, yeah, and yeah, everything yeah. else. And I, I, happens to me all the time. I, I have gone through it. I hundred 
every time I'm on stage winning an award, I just oh, forget. I know what you mean. It's like when um, Jessica Chastain forgot to thank me and Randy at the Academy Awards for Eyes of Tony. You were the Celine Dion of last year. Yeah, he did it right afterwards. So yes. exactly. Did y'all know, <laughs> notice the handsome guy that escorted Celine well, that Dion was out. that was her son Renee that was the, the Renee the uh, Celine Dion's son who was so handsome yeah yeah the last time I thought of Celine Dion's son was when there was a New York Times piece 20 x years ago when she just started to perform in Vegas and they said that his nursery backstage at MGM and his nursery in their home like an hour away was exactly the same so he'd never know he was someplace else uh, which freaked me out a little bit Freak me out a little I bit. Love, uh... Okay, we're running out of time, but I can't I can't go two more mentions. One is Fantasia doing a team doing part of the Tina Turner thing, rolling down the river. Oh, I love Fantasia. It's not called rolling down the river. Everyone oh. keeps saying that in the in Proud Mary. Honey, Proud Thank Mary. You. Thank you. Proud you Mary, Tom, of Mary. all people should know the name of the damn song. Well, like Taylor Swift, I'm a little flustered to be here in such amazing company. I want to hug you both and say the right thing. I just Fantasia's having a great year. I love seeing her everywhere. I love seeing her on the A list and getting the again attention she deserves. And she looked fantastic. And last but not least, in there, and I'm missing tons of great performances. Joni Mitchell at 80 singing both sides now. I love that song. I love every version of it. Joni re-recorded it like 20 years ago with an orchestra. I love that. Joni's original version, which she wrote like at 23. How at 23 do you know the meaning of life? Like Joni Mitchell knew the meaning of life in both sides now. And then it's, course- it's one of those things where at 80, the song probably means more to her. I, you know, it, it means more to all of us that she's 80 and she can look at life from both sides now. It's it just- speaks to alien life or, or or Benjamin Button life reverse. Like she, maybe she wrote that song when she was 80, but it was given to her 23 year old. Like it's, it's defies space time emotion, that song, the emotion and the message of it coming from a 23 year old. And Brandy Carlisle, the protector of all, you know, elderly, you know, in need artist was right there beside her. Where's Brandy for me? Well, she's coming. She's coming. You're next. And um, and I had to say, Theron, I, I don't mean to, but Theron is here. Where I'm spending time with him. And I played him the Joni Mitchell thing on the Grammy. He's like, and he sort of said, you know, I don't know that I relate to music the same way you do. I'm like, you know this song. And so I had to go back and play him the Joni Mitchell at 23 singing it. And then I made him listen to um, uh, what's the fabulous uh, artist who covered it? Judy, Judy Collins, who had the more pop version hit with it. But uh, I forced it down his throat, and so he, he found the meaning. Anyway. <laughs> Forcing things down Theron's throat. Okay, let's I move on. Theron it should be the fourth member. Theron is the fourth member here. He, you, we talk about him so much. We'll get him here next week. Next week. We, we should. We absolutely must. All right, we've got to move on. I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about the uh, Grammys. But number nine, James. Number nine. The Holdovers. Uh, I'm trying to make my way through the all the Oscar nominated movies, trying to you know see where I stand on all of them. But I want to talk a little bit about the importance of seeing a movie in a good mood, in the right mood for it. Because I started watching the Holdovers when I was. I assume you were not in a good mood or the right mood. Well, I this is just what I'm going to say because I started watching it. I was in a terrible mood. I was like, "This is treacle. It's twaddle. I hate it. I can't do it." And I turned it off. Then 
this weekend I was in a great mood and I thought I'll go back and watch it again. And I started it and watched it from the beginning and I loved it. I loved every moment of it. I thought I cried. I laughed. I thought Devine Joy Brown deserves that nomination. I, I hate Paul Giamatti. I loved him in this. I think that kid, uh, Dominic Sessa, I, I wish he would have gotten a nomination, but he's got a good career. He's got a big career ahead of him. He's just spectacular. The writing, everything about it just really struck home with me. Before I left on my trip, I was going to, I watched it one night and I was going to talk about it <clears throat> on the wow report. And I was in a little bit of a cranky mood, I think. Yeah. Because it moved a little, it's an old fashioned movie. And that's not a bad thing. Cause I watch journal classic movies all the time as you do, but it's like, it's slow moving. It's very traditional, but it's beautifully. It, you can't deny, even in my cra- crappy mood, that the performances are amazing. That 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 the, the the sentiment. It does feel like a movie that's been made before. Tom, that's not you. That's that's not something that you can address because you will watch remake after remake of of the shop around the corner. Or, uh, that that was my crankiness. I'm just being honest, but yeah, I, I didn't yeah. want to come and, on and, and that, trash that's it. That's what I'm addressing because I think it is a movie that you have to go into wanting to see it. You can't be dragged like you know. So often, my sister drags me to these movies that I just you know. But this is one that I end. Like I said, I changed my mind about, and I think that if you didn't like it, go into it with a good with the right mind. <laughs> no shade. I want to get on with number eight. Number eight. It's a show and tell. You know, every now and then something comes along that is so wrong. Like Christmas, the Ikea 10-pound giant turkey-sized Swedish meatball. Did you take in that? At Christmas, Ikea released a giant meatball that was the size of a turkey. And it was one of those things like, I can't believe it's real. And this, we have a new one. Oh, no, it's with him. The June popcorn buckets. I could not believe that this was a real thing. But it is, as you can see, because those of you watching on our YouTube channel, you can see it is actually, actually, it's a very ordinary popcorn bucket, but it's the lid that, <laughs> that where all the action is going on. It's the, it's the worm. The sandworm. Sure, yeah. And but so it's also a flashlight, and, and it you put your... the flashlight where you could stick your penis. Right. Well, yes, I was, I was, yeah. There you go. So that's. Um, Did fun. you see Saturday Night Live? I thought it was a very funny sketch, uh, and it was uh, exciting to see that um, just the popcorn bucket getting. I mean, what my 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 point here is, I guess, or my question is like. In marketing, it's always about succeeding and having the brilliant idea. But it sometimes seems like, is this what is this is a new kind of marketing, whether it's that giant Swedish IKEA meatball or this popcorn bucket. And by the way, thank you, Jazz Tange from Variety, who gave it to me. Um, you know, maybe marketing fails can be more successful. What do we call this? I mean, but how is that a fail? Because it it, it is such such a viral moment that everybody, the minute you see it, is is it just you you tweet about it, you you Instagram it. exactly. But the wrongness is what makes it tweetable yeah. and viral. Whereas most marketing would say, do not do that, do not go there. 
you know, like we can't possibly have a popcorn bucket that's like a flashlight or some sort of vagina data. Mm. Uh, yeah. You, the host of the Wow Report, don't understand how something really bad can gain a lot of positive attention. I, I don't understand. It's a world of wonder, uh, late motif for the last 40 uh, years. No, my life has been about bad things that don't get enough attention. I've never had an <laughs> SNL sketch. Like, oh, maybe that's to come, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, to be honest, to eat popcorn out of it, it might have other uses, but it's just a w- every time you put your, it, it, I'm doing Does it. it hurt because it looks like it hurts. It's an embrace. I would think on your organ it could be ticklish, but it just when you get popcorn, it's yeah, almost like this is pulling the popcorn off your finger. It's like yeah, you know, maybe I'd it's more of an ozempic accompaniment or something. You know, remove, I'd remove the lid, save this for later for other thing, and then yeah. just eat the popcorn like a normal person out of a. I just have to thank you and thank Jazz who gave it to you because it showed up on your feed. By the way, you showed it, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" Right. And then. I think she posted something or one of you did to say, this is what it is. It's from the Dune thing. Thank you, Jazz. And I felt so cool that when I was watching the clips, I can only watch clips over here of Saturday Night Live, I knew what they're talking about. Because otherwise, I wouldn't have believed it was true. We're early adopters here at the Wire Report. I just I gotta say too about that clip though that that Marcelo Hernandez is is the breakout star of this season. He's just adorable, and he does more gay roles than Bowen does lately. He's yep. he's really he's he's stepping up. I love him. Mm-hmm. All right, well that the bucket is on sale now, uh, and you can uh, see Dune Two opening wide. On uh, March the 1st, you got it opening. Actually, I saw the the first Dune with Jazz. Jazz took me to a press screening. And and that moment when the worm comes out of the sand, we both sat back in our seats because suddenly a giant asshole is coming at you. And so who who knew then? Someone, the mind of some marketing bird genius was thinking about that's going to be a popcorn bucket. And see, and during that whole SNL skit, I was like, I just know the final line of this is going to be fuck it. The bucket, it bucket. Was. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, oh, play my heartstrings just like a fiddle. I'm not afraid of the teeth in the middle. That's the <laughs> um, All right. Okay. Let's take a break. Brand new episode tonight. RuPaul's Drag Race season 16. An amazing <laughs> season on Wow Presents Plus Worldwide, and of course, MTV here in the States. And, 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 the premiere episode of RuPaul's Drag Race UK versus the World Season 2, which is also a fantastic season. So you can watch both of those. And, because two things is not, a third thing, you can then watch Hey Queen with Johnny McGowan interviewing the eliminated queen from the latest episode of Season 16. I mean, Wow Presents Plus... Why aren't you going and signing up right away? We've got your Friday nights covered. Exactly. And I've got a question for you. What do all of these artists have in common? Nicki Minaj, Kendrick Lamar, Ed Sheeran, Britney Spears, Drake, Taylor Swift, and SZA. (laughs) That's the right here on the Wow Report after the break. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wire Report. It's Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake with a question. I asked, because it's Grammy week, what do these artists all have in common? Nicki Minaj, Kendrick Lamar, Ed Sheeran, Britney Spears, Drake, Taylor Swift, and SZA. 
I was gonna say so because we just saw Drake's wiener. Uh, I was gonna say something about their their nudity, but I don't think we've ever seen Ed Sheeran, so I I I, I have no idea. Any guesses, Tom? They've Finn? all duetted with Elton John. Oh, they all had the June popcorn bucket. <laughs> they all lost Best New Artist at the Grammys. Uh-huh. Wow. Well, some have said that winning the Best New Artist at the Grammys is actually a curse. There's a school of thought there, but it can go either way. There you go. We are counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go, wow, we've reached number seven, Tom. Number seven. A thousand years ago, there's a clip that went viral of Katie Kirk and Matt Lauer talking about the internet, like in 1992. And they're like, what? What's the internet? It doesn't make any sense. What would you use it for? And they look like idiots today. Well, push, push record as I go off on... Something I have only read about, I haven't seen, the Apple Vision Pro, which was just introduced. Those are those goggles, not virtual reality, augmented reality. And you guys have read the same things I have. But basically, you wear these big, heavy things that mess up your hair. They're kind of heavy. You turn around. And they put your computer screen, essentially, between you and reality. So instead of looking at a computer or your phone, you are literally walking through a room and it recognizes your hand motions and you can swipe and play movies and videos. Uh, Theron, who is our, our, our unseen co-host, showed me a video of someone walking. I don't know if it was fake from TikTok. It looked real. But it was just like some blousy gay with a goggles going, walking through the office like, yeah, hello, yes, I'm talking on the phone and I'm talking and I'm moving things and just sort of like powering through the office and going into the... Um, it's scary. And I always bite my tongue. I don't want to be this person because technology, and we get, I can't stop technology. But like when I was growing up, everyone said I'd watch so much TV that I'd rot my brain, that I'd lose my sight, that horrible things would happen. Well, look at me now, mom, I'm doing good. <laughs> Thank you, television. You were just saying you had brain rot before we started the show. James, that was a private conversation. <laughs> Tom, I love this endorsement of screenage. Thank you. But Scrinage, exactly. But this notion, because somebody else pointed out that, you know, it's oh, it's augmented reality. You're going to be able to do this and this. And someone said, now you won't be able to go outside without watching like a 30-second ad for something. It's like, oh, it's true. You're going to, if your TikTok addiction wasn't bad enough, you're now going to be, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner talking to your, you know, your yes. great-grandmother watching a TikTok video. But the glasses that you put on, you can see through them and people can see you through them. So it's not like a, a virtual reality where you're like that Star Trek character where you can't see your eyes. You can. No, no, no. But to me, I mean, but what you're saying, Tom, is that this is not something we need or is it something we need? And what, just, what... I fear that the removal of being going outside, like being in the UK, staying in lovely Windsor next to the castle. I try to take little walks and just. Taking the it's freezing. Feel cold the grass. Bed. Feel this. Feel the rain on your face. The breeze, feel the, the breeze. The birds. There's, there's a yeah. thing Randy sent us about how the, the bird songs, you know, soothe the soul and, and stop depression. And just the further we turn ourselves into walking computers, and it sounds like a good idea. Listen, it's thirty five hundred dollars now. It's not that it's in beta, but it's early. They'll protect. There's something maybe slightly better about augmented reality because at least you're you're fusing reality with technology versus 
virtual reality where you're just like in some awful. But don't you remember the Google Glass was supposed to revolutionize the world yes. in the same way, and it was so ugly that nobody wanted to wear it. I don't think queens want to wear a big uh, goggles like that. I, I think I think people are narcissistic enough to, if when it gets smaller and less obtrusive. Yes, but exactly. But ultimately, let, let's say this is early, funny, weird times, Model T four times. But what happens when you put a lens into your eye? And then you well, always you know, have... just the other week, Elon Musk put the first neurotransmitter chip into someone's head. Like, you know, the, the funny thing about that is, you know, the MAGA people are like, I'm not going to get the vaccine because Bill Gates is putting putting <laughs> chips into us. And then they're like, Bill Gates, I mean, they're like, Elon Musk is putting chips in us. Yay. Like, yes, that's true. I and I bet you like it, like before the end of the show, Theron will walk in wearing a pair. Walking <laughs> by. Exactly. <laughs> So it just seems scary to me. And I'm not an early adapter. I'm surprised that you, you said that one of our coworkers has them already. Tom Wolf, Tommy Wolf, our chief administrations officer has them and says it's amazing. But like you, I've seen the video and it, it just feels a little weird. This sort of finger, like I, I used to feel self-conscious speaking on the phone in public, but I guess we'll just so get used to it. Because you were doing this all the time. Right. <laughs> and I'll just say the obvious. Now, listen. I got older, so people don't cruise me as much. But there used to be on the streets of West Hollywood, people walking their dogs, people looking at each other, sniffing each other out, getting a sense of like a little flirtation, if nothing else. I used to take it further. And now everyone is on their, has headphones, is on their phone, walking their dog. No one looks, just to say hello, how are you, neighbor? So I can only imagine when these, I I will call you guys the minute the first dog walker with uh, Vision Pro goggles trots down my street in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I also don't want to look at anybody wearing them. I, I I think that that would be a conversation stopper for me. I just well, really, if they were wearing them and nothing else. Well, how are you going to like, Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, well, what if they had a Dune popcorn bucket? That's all you need. The Apple pro vision and the Dune popcorn <laughs> bucket. Um, Bob's your uncle. They're more alike um, than you think. <laughs> I tell you, the popcorn bucket is a bit cheaper than the Apple Vision Pro. But anyway, let's move on. Number six, James. Number six. Nikki Haley on Saturday Night Live. There's a lot to unpack here. Most, most the, the big question, though, is why? Why, 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 why? I, you know, she was in the cold open sketch with that, um, with the Donald Trump uh, lookalike guy. What's his name? Um, James... Houston Johnson, I think he does such a good Donald Trump. He's so funny. She was on that. She was questioning. She was sort of making fun of his mental acuity. Um, I I get that there's a place for Nikki Nikki Haley in this race. I th- you know I get that she's um, she uh, pisses Donald off. I get that she keeps him spending money. She keeps the Republican Party spending money. Um, I get that she's playing the spoiler. I get that she gets to question his mental acuity. I get all of that, that it, and I don't mind her doing any of that and and taking Donald down a few notches. But I just don't think Saturday Night Live needs to. Um, to yeah, the only thing I think about it is like, it, I, I don't want him to be the candidate. So 
harping on SNL. She, like, but, but he, but, but he is going to be the candidate. There's, there's no, there's no way around. But that. like so, any way they can help to like not make him the candidate. I feel. Well, I think she should stick it right up into the convention. She should make everybody vote in the convention. I'm, I'm all for that. And it's a shame because it was such a solid episode too. The, the, the bucket sketch was was bright was wonderful j-lo performing it's so good to see her she sounded great yes tom no just with the nikki haley thing it's like it was this blip of a good show a blip show, but they also gave her the permission to sort of get a pass on her what started the civil war what right. was the civil war yeah. well and you know io uh Debery, which is how you pronounce her name i've been saying it wrong this whole time she was a great host she's so, she was she, awesome she's so a star awesome. was born not that she wasn't already a star but a star catapulted in front and of her she audience. knew a lot of the people from snl she said because they were all in the same yeah. yeah, she she's just great. So like I say, it was a great episode. Mar- but if you remember, I, mean, I get that SNL is trying to both sides it, like everybody in the media is trying to both sides it. If you remember, Donald Trump was a guest in the, in 2015, I think, or 2016. Remember, he did the chicken sketch. He hosted it, yeah. He hosted it, yeah. So would you go back to, I hate to be this way, but would you double-side it in 1933 in Nazi Exactly. I just, I like I said, it's frustrating because SNL gets so much right and they get so much wrong. They also make a lot of Joe Biden is so old jokes, which is tired. It's not that funny. It's both sidism, but it feeds to a narrative that does not help the the continuing. It'll be interesting what Saturday Night Live does when we're no longer democracy. Oh, that's oh, oh my gosh! Say that again. It'll be interesting to see what Saturday Night Live does when there's no more democracy in the United States of America. There was also a little footnote that Bo and Yang posted and then took down an Instagram where he's the flowers that were sent to Nikki Haley in her dressing room. It was like from Lauren Michaels and. And everyone at SNL, and he posted that picture with the card and said, everyone, and then took it down. Well, you know, the thing about Bowen, though, too, is that um, the week before when uh, Dave Chappelle jumped on stage and you could see how visibly upset Bowen was. And the fact that SNL had um, Dave Chappelle on the show and doubled down on his transphobic comments mm-hmm. in, his, in his monologue mm-hmm. shows just how weird SNL gets with this. Well, if, if, if Nikki Haley undermines Trump, that is surely to the good. I'm no fan, but like... No, that's, 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 that's what I'm saying. I understand yeah. that. I get right. it. And that's yeah. what I meant, too, yeah. All right, number five. Number five. American Nightmare. That feels like a good segue. This is a three-part doc series from Raw TV. Raw TV, in my mind, make the best documentaries, true crime docs that are out there. They made The Imposter. They made Three Identical Strangers. They made Tinder Swindler. They seem to make titles that are impossible to say. (laughs) Um, But this is a jaw-dropping story. It's as stylish, as slick, as cleverly told as anything they've ever done. It begins with a man in a police interrogation room telling a story about how he woke up in the middle of the night with his girlfriend, blinded by sort of laser flashlights, and basically tied up, drugged, bound. And when he worked himself free the next morning... His girlfriend was gone, kidnapped, 
And in the course of telling the story in the police confession room, police interrogation room, I should say, he also says, and they were wearing wetsuits. So it seemed like they came out of the water, went into the house. This is in California. Abducted, assaulted and abducted his girlfriend. Well, it's clear from the beginning, the police do not believe him at all. And they but they they are beginning, they're like, it seems to me like, you know, you probably, there's blood in your house. Looks like you probably murdered her. They're creating this narrative. So that's episode one. And what's great, by the way, about this series of three episodes is they're like 45 minutes long. So they're not like bloated. It's anyway. Episode two begins with the kidnapped girl. So in episode one, the boyfriend is prime suspect number one. You know, think he's murdered his girlfriend. Episode two, here's the girlfriend because having been kidnapped, she suddenly shows up 48 hours later, 400 miles away, goes to the family home, her, her parents' home. And like, you're like, WTF, what happened here? And of course, this was 2015, about six months after Gone Girl, the movie came out. So I guess everybody's seen the movie, the police had seen the movie, and they think now that they're dealing with a new Gone Girl situation. And Denise is her name, tells this harrowing story about how she was kidnapped and sexually assaulted and finally released. And it makes no sense. And the police don't believe her. So now the police think they're going to prosecute him and they're going to prosecute her. Well, you know, here's the thing. Episode three, not, I'm not going to give, I mean, there's so many twists and turns and you are literally on the edge of your seat all the way through. But of course, it turns out that this is a true story, that these people were not lying and that the police simply flat out refused to believe them. And even more egregiously, shockingly ignored, enormously obvious. I mean, we're not detectives, but I swear to you, the three of us could have figured this case out. You know, just doing a little due diligence, just crediting the people who are telling you their harrowing stories. Just a little bit of footwork. Martin Short, Steve Martin and Selena Gomez could have figured this out. Yes, yes, exactly. It is jaw-dropping. And I've read a lot of reviews of it. it. Actually, interestingly, I think it's kind of slipped under the radar somewhat, right? It hasn't... I just watched the trailer you sent, and I was fascinated right before the show. I don't even know this channel, though. What channel is uh, it? Netflix. Oh. It's the production company he was talking about. The production what? company is Raw TV. I've never heard of this Netflix, but I've never heard of Raw TV either. So I'm I'm completely out of the loop. It, it, it's it's really good. And so on the one hand, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed the way it slipped under the radar because I think more people should see this. And secondly, it's, uh, there's been a few reviews, but they tend to dwell on the sensationalism of true crime storytelling. And it's like, no, 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 no. The issue here is police incompetence. It is so startling and shocking and horrifying. And if I know we've had the sort of defund the police and we've had all that stuff, but I've never seen anything that quite so nakedly reveals the incredible stupidity, the incredible insensitivity, and the predisposition to believe rape victims. 
Like it, it's, it's, Tom, I'm, I'm just flapping. I cannot find the words. Like, and, and I wondered if part of the reason it's not being covered as extensively is because that is fundamentally the thrust of the story. That I wonder if anyone's bought the movie rights. Yeah. Uh, because the police were very much like, well, this is gone girl. This is what happened. You know, they, they kidnapped themselves. They did a Rosamund part. I mean, I mean, it's like, and it's like, no, you know, and oh, none of the police got fired, prosecuted, zero accountability, zero apologies. I think it was one civil lawsuit and they won a couple of million dollars, but oh my goodness. I mean, really, you got to watch What's it. it called again? It's called American Nightmare and it's on Netflix. Should we take a break? Do you have a question for us? I do. Oh. Um, it's another Grammy question. As we all know, Taylor Swift just won her fourth album of the year. She broke a tie between three men. Who were they? We'll have the answer here on the Wild Report right after the break when we come back. You're listening to World of Wonders Wild Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wild Report. It's James, it's Tom, it's Blake and me, Fenton. Switching up the order there. Um, Blake, you got a question? <laughs> yeah. Taylor Swift just won her fourth album of the year for Midnight's. She broke a tie with three men. Who were the three men who have won it three times each? Stevie Wonder. I was just going to say that. Yes. Tony Bennett. No. Oh. No. Uh, Elton John. No. Fenton, any guesses? Elvis Presley. No. It was Stevie Wonder, Frank Sinatra, and Paul Simon. Oh, Paul Simon makes sense. Yeah, they love him. Has Taylor Swift won the most Grammys? I think Beyonce is ahead of her, isn't she? Beyonce has the most Grammys. Taylor has the most Album of the Year Grammys. Mm, Thank you. We are counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. Number four. Number four. You know, we haven't talked about that big football game that's happening this weekend that Taylor Swift. The Puppy Bowl. The Puppy Bowl. Yeah. Um, I saw this hilarious meme. Um, Someone posted, Caitlin Mahan on Facebook posted, I literally cannot wait for Kelsey to win the Super Bowl. Taylor runs on the field and then Kelsey rips off his mask. And it was Colin Kaepernick the whole damn time. Their interracial, (laughs) radical, liberal love is on full display. The crowd goes wild. Everyone takes a knee while drag queens march through tossing books to children. It's all going exactly to plan. <laughs> what what is funny that, that they, uh, you know, QAnon thinks that it is all a big plan to, the, to, for the, to get the Democrats exactly. into the White House. And this weekend in Vegas, Jay Jolie is actually doing a lookalike Taylor Swift contest at the Cat's Meow in downtown uh, you know, Ta- she looks a lot like Taylor and was, was even in the Taylor music video for You Need to Calm Down as Taylor. And Which went- won an MTV Video Music Award. Right. Um, um, Taylor had everybody come up, all the drag queens that were in that, RuPaul was in that. And John Travolta, who gave the award, came to Jay Jolie to give, to give Taylor <laughs> a hug. I didn't know that. So don't give, you know, Taylor didn't hug Celine, but at least she didn't hug the wrong person. Right. Well, this is all going down at the Cats Meow in downtown Vegas. It's uh, 
it's a Taylor Swift lookalike contest. The winner will win the Cat's Meow Party Package valued at $1,500, four hours of karaoke, and a premium open bar for up to 20 people. James, let's enter. Let's go. Let's do this, James. We can do it. We can win it. Four hours of karaoke with Tom. That is just my dream. All, we, we'll, do all, we'll cover all of Linda Ronstadt's oeuvre, all of Carly Simon, all of uh, Diana Ross. And then we're out. Well, even if you get second place, you can still get a $500 gift certificate to Cat's Meow. So. And she's also she's hosting a meeting meet and greet at the Cat's Meow, too. So you can meet Jay Jolie as Taylor Swift on Super Bowl weekend in Las Vegas. I know we still have a few more topics, but I'm going to say I'm going to nominate this topic as the best topic of the week. <laughs> Do you have a third little Taylor Swifty thing? I don't. Do you? Well, your best friend's best friend. He, um, he, uh, he's, he, oh, yeah. He, I was going to bring this up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Taylor Swift, her lawyers have sent a cease oh. and desist to the kid who runs her jet tracking thing. And here's the thing I get that it's all, you know, for safety or whatever. But the thing is, is they don't, he doesn't post this until 24 hours later. So she's never really in danger and she is the number one polluter of jet i am going to give taylor a pass on this because taylor and beyonce are two people i do not want flying public i do not want them (laughs) to mess up the uh, lax is a nightmare to navigate can you imagine if the swifties decided to descend upon it the nightmare of getting around it i think that the kylie jenner Oprah oprah winfrey jeff bezos they can all fly first class or, and I understand the idea of, of renting a jet as opposed to owning 14 of your own, you know, which is, I, I think is silly. But I, like I said, I don't think that, that Taylor needs to be in a public airport. I think the chaos would be too well, much. Well, I also don't think this kid should have to take down his. I, I, I agree. I, I agree. I also, I don't like, I, I think it's a bad look for her to go after right. uh, an unemployed 23-year-old. Because he doesn't kid. just track her, he tracks a lot of celebrities, right? He does. That's, he, that's his, that's what do you thing. think? But, you know, and I, I understand that, that we do need to, to, some of the celebrities need to cut it out. And and some of the, I, I don't, I think it's gotten a little out of control. Uh, Tom, I'm looking at you. Fenton, I'm looking at you. Stop with the with the private jets every time you, you go to <laughs> Bakersfield for, a, for an episode of Drag Race. Fenton, what <laughs> do you think? Right. I mean, because I, I, you ha- you aren't you aren't formulating a thought. Give us. A thought. I was formulating a thought, but then I was thinking it's not really a thought. It doesn't really contribute anything, and it's like. I, I guess Taylor is that ever stop anyone on Yeah, this we're show. all just here to hear our own heads rattle. Thing. Picked on at some point. I mean, that's you know, it just feels like it's let's pick on Taylor Week, and I wonder if it's Maga's like trying to get us to turn on Taylor. And the, the, I feel the, like the there's a concentrated was... effort right now to take her down. Yeah. I do, but yeah. are we picking on her? We've been sweet to her this whole show. It's just this one thing. Well, it's, it's been two things in one week, not hugging Celine Dion until at backstage and then threatening to sue the private jet tracker guy, dude, thing. That's all I got. Nice. I'm a Swifty. Yeah, me too. Well, okay. Number uh, three. Number three. Number three. 
feud, Truman versus the Swans on FX. Uh, it's a Ryan Murphy production, but Ryan has not written or, or directed any of them. So that is saying a little something. Gus Van Zandt directed the first episode. Um, Tom Hollander is Truman. He is a lot of fun. He doesn't look a thing like Jimmy Gavodi, but he's got the voice and the mannerisms down pat. Um, Naomi Watts is surprisingly the heart of the show as Babe Paley, which is interesting because Babe Paley, there's a lot of adjectives you can use to describe Babe Paley, but um, endearing and warm and fuzzy is not one of them because she was a brittle old, you know, uh, socialite and for, for them to make her the heart of the show is sort of surprising but i think it speaks to naomi watts's talent to bring that out um the cast is triple a list demi moore as bang bang uh uh and woodward and woodward who we talked about on this show remember i know the reason I'm loving this show is because I've heard you tell all these stories eight million yeah, we times. Our, we did our biggest scandals and how she was she shot her husband in the middle of the night to and right then now the there's a through line through it. And then yeah, and she managed to skate because the the uh, the family was so high society. Calista Flockhart is Lee Radswell. Diane Lane is Slim Keith. Chloe Stephanie is CZ Guest. Of course, none of these people look anything like the real swans, uh, but that's sort of the fun of it. I mean, it's weird that anyone would put that bizarre hat lady and think that that's Lee Radswell. It's just, it's it's not, it's just so bizarre. It um, feels like if you hired a bunch of gay people, they would do better than that, even on a little exa- budget. Yes, exactly. But the stories are, it's, it's campy. I'm obsessed. The hairdos, the the jewelry is all verdura. Um, the uh, the outfits, it's it. I mean, you feel like you were there. It's nice to see the coat basque in its glory days. I I never went. I never got a chance to see it. I we knew the end. I know the period story about how Bill Paley cheated on on Babe with Happy Rockefeller, and she left her period blood all over the the sheets and the white carpet and the white furniture just so that Babe would know that she was there. It's just so evil and that's one of those stories that queens have been telling for 40 years now whispering and here we have it on a tv show it's disgusting and gross but it's campy at the same time yeah i can't get the show but i've been obsessed with it i've read every review i've read every little clip watch every little clip i read esquire has recently reposted the original truman capote story that was published in 75 and you know people want to put that down and say that's not journalism it was so dirty it was fascinating it was absolutely, if you're part of society and part of the, the, the culture, it's absolutely your suicide from the culture, but it is fascinating insight into people in a world. Um, I, I think that I, I, makes me want to read the published after his death incomplete. What Answer is it? Prayers. Yeah, Answer I have a copy prayers. here and it is, you know, there, he, he talks about, oh, what was his name? He was a very famous hustler. Uh, in the in the fifties, Den- Denmark, Den- something like that. There's a whole chapter on him. It is it is fascinating. I think that if Truman was around and Truman did it today, that he would probably be lauded and showered with praise. I don't think he would be destroyed. I, or maybe cancel culture would have come to him earlier, and he never would have got. I, I don't know, but it is it was the death of Truman. And I've seen the first two episodes. This ep- the next episode is the black and white ball and um in cold blood, and then with a flashback 
a lot of the problem is with it is there's a lot of flashbacks and flashbacks and flashbacks and flashbacks. And That's not reading. Annoying. People say you start that the story is told in the first two episodes, seeing none of it. And that after that, it's just a lot of disorientation, not knowing where well, there's, they keep going back and forth in, you know, 1974, 1980, 1962, 1950. But then there's this one flashback that's 1984. And it's Truman driving to a pond and looking at some swans in the water. And they flash to it like 20 times. Like he keeps saying 1984. And you just see him standing there looking at the swans. It's what? the light motif. I guess, but it gets a little annoying after the 20th time. <laughs> That's feud. Right. Capote versus the Swans. New episodes on Wednesdays on FX, streaming next day on Hulu. Number two. James, have you seen this movie? Number two. Zone of Interest. I have heard a lot about it, and I am fascinated with it. Must watch. It's one of those movies, as you're watching it, that can sort of slip by, but has that sort of afterlife that just comes back at you and is sort of unforgettable. It's set in World War II, and it tells the story of, well, there isn't really a story. The, <laughs> you the, grabbed me. You grabbed me with that. I know. I'm really selling it. Huh? The camp commandant of Auschwitz lives with his family next door to the concentration camp. And in fact, the garden, there is a wall, and that wall at the end of the garden is the wall of the concentration camp. And so you're in this gorgeous house with this beautiful garden and flowers, and right on the other side of this wall is a concentration camp. And occasionally you see a watchtower in the background, or when it pulls out a little bit, you see smoke rising. And the thing that is the single most haunting thing about this movie, I think, is the fact that as they're leading their life in this house, this gorgeous house, this family life, it's the camp commandant. We never go with him to work, basically. It's always set in the house with the wife and the children and the maids and the little garden parties and lunches and breakfast. As they're going about their stuff, looking in the garden, picking flowers, you hear this soundtrack of sort of distant machinery, just sort of always going. and random gunshots and screams and it's a, a, a review said it was a dread inducing soundscape and that juxtaposed with this life in this house i'm never going to forget it even though we don't see the horrors there's a meeting where three or four industrialists come by and he meets the camp commander meets with them in his living room and they've got plans and they're talking about this new machine that's sort of a, a a device to like basically process more people and put them into the crematorium quicker and faster. It's a sort of rotating crematorium thing. But it's all just done in this very low-key, banal way. And it was interesting that the way he filmed it was Jonathan Glazer, who gave us Ex Machina and a number of other films. He rigged the house. And I think this is really telling. He rigged the house with multiple cameras and microphones and no artificial light. So in other words, it was kind of filmed Big Brother style. And it feels very documentary and sort of real. I know Big Brother are always getting challenges and all that sort of entertainment stuff. But in essence, the idea is like, let's rig the house with cameras, give them the what they're going to do, and just collect all the footage and then edit it together. And it, there's an outing to, I was going to say, there's no real story. There's an outing to the river 
to go fishing with the boys and it's idyllic. And at some point downstream comes this dark cloud and it's never made explicit to us, but the, the camp commandant and his boys like literally just get out of the water. They're fishing and they suddenly like run to the shore because you put two and two together. They're probably flushing out the crematoriums. It's just quite incredible. I wonder if it's that Jaws thing where the idea of the horror is probably, mm. you know, the, of the unseen horror probably is is scarier than well, if we've all seen it. We've all seen images yeah. that yeah, we, we we have, and so the idea that we know what is going on yes. is the scare is the terrifying thing. Ah, it's made my chest tight listening to you. It, 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 I mean, it really is. It sounds bizarre to say. I cannot recommend it enough. And what I also found so interesting is that. It's actually loosely based. It's nominated for Best Adaptation. Uh, it's based on a Martin Amos novel, which was called Zone of Interest. I, Because I, I was wondering, why do you call it Zone of Interest? It's such a weird title for this. But in a way, it, it doesn't have any of the plot of the book. It's just this sort of observational piece. Yeah, it's nominated for, I think, uh, five Oscars, uh, I don't. Did, did you see it? You didn't see it in the theater. You you watched it. No, I, watched it. I don't I know that watched... I couldn't see it in the theater. I think it might be a little overwhelming to see it. Yeah, I think it spared you some of the intensity. Yeah. But nonetheless, something about it was so unusual. It was so unlike a movie. You know what I mean? With actors acting and plot happening. And it was so understated. And it, it it's very powerful. So that's... um. Zone of interest. I, 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 you know, good luck to it. Should we take one more break? And then when we come back, the number one thing this week for me is go, wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I just want to put in a little plug for RuPaul's new memoir, The House of Hidden Meanings, which is a gorgeous title and it's a fantastic book coming out in March. I think March, I think March 5th. Um, you can pre-order it now. Uh, and Rue is going on a book tour. So um, go see him. Yeah. Look online for tickets and cities. Yeah. There you go. All right. So we've been counting down the top 10 things the week. Made us go, wow, we've reached number one. Number one. I think we were going to talk about um, King Charles's uh, cancer diagnosis and the weirdness surrounding a lot of what's going on with the palace right now, where you have... First of all, you had Harry flying 13 hours to go see his dad and then getting a 45 minutes with him and then kicked out and going home, which was just felt like a snub. It felt very weird that this boy flew to his father's side. Prince William has not been to see his father and Prince William is in London right now. So, I mean, like it's it's sad what they do to to Prince Harry. I just I just think it's a shame. Um, Also, we have this whole Kate Middleton thing going on where there's always the the. The palace always does leaving the hospital with the flowers, the shot of them waving in the car. They did not do that. The the fact that they didn't tell the public that she was in the hospital for two weeks after she had abdominal surgery is weird. It's not historically how the royals deal with sickness. There's always that the palace puts it put, only puts out something when they have to, when it's absolutely, you know, when it gets to the point where they have to. Fenton is a royal watcher. 
I know you were not. I know I do not compare to you as a royal watcher, but I wanted to ask you, what's your theory? I mean, what? I have a feeling that Kate is worse off than they are telling us. I think that something was really seriously wrong with Kate. And I, I, I don't know if, um, if Charles is, a, is being used as a distraction or if Harry is being used as a, as a distraction, but something weird is going on with all of, with all of it. It's just something. And I, like I said, the idea that Harry would be the one to fly immediately to see his father and then get only a 45 minute uh, seating with him. That part. I, this is not to be self-aggrandizing. This is happening in literally our backyard. Mm. Uh, you know, we're staying right outside Windsor Castle. Right. What's the Come on. Someone we're working with uh, was getting some, one of those OBEs or something, not a knighthood, but they're being awarded. So, that, so that this week there have been a series of ceremonies, big ceremonies with hundreds of people getting, getting royal, royal titles and things. And King Charles was supposed to be there to do it. And they had to make the last minute changes. Princess Anne covered yet uh, uh, on Tuesday. William was there on Thursday. So whether he's visited him or not, the family has kicked in. You know what I'm saying? Something has happened. It's very strange. People are telling me that, you know, like you're saying, like they usually don't say anything until they have to. They've said he has cancer. They said it's not prostate cancer. It was discovered while they were yeah, doing that. That's the weird thing, too, where um, they were saying it's too invasive for us to talk about it. You've already talked about prostate cancer. I mean, like right. what else? And, how and we don't know, but we don't know what there. treatment he's they're telling us earlier yeah. they're being transparent, but they're not telling us what but treatment. They're not telling us the diagnosis. And, and you know, I don't I hate to, you know, it's the the, the, the royals are great. Uh, sort of non-real people to talk about and gossip about, you know, I, I, for both of them, obviously we wish them both very well. And it's scary just to think of, I put, you know, here he is, the King of England waited his whole life for it. And there's something wrong. And that can well, well, and that is, that is the most Prince Charles thing that could ever happen to him. Here's somebody who waited 75 years to be on the throne. He gets on the throne and 18 months later, he gets a cancer diagnosis. It's like this poor man is yeah. just, he's just cursed. He really I is. Think, it's interesting because I do think um, the public sentiment has, since he became King, kind of somewhat warmed up to him and Camilla. Warmed up to Camilla, definitely. Yeah, and there's a sort of, so it would be a, and the anti-William uh, anti sentiment keeps growing as well, saying that he's got anger issues and he's, uh, you know, saying that Kate left him a year ago. And there's all sorts of rumors going on around about that. So it's weird that, that there's a pro-Charles sentiment and an anti-William sentiment where everyone's like, no, we do not want King William just yet. But everyone's kind of on the edge of their seat here, as I guess they are around the world who are listening mm. to find out more information and we well just... watch this space right to be continued <sighs> that's all we have time for unfortunately thank you for listening to the wow report thank you tom thank you james thank you blake same time same place next week okay go, in, go out and do something that makes the world go wow